I think you're going to find really fascinating our discussion with our next guest, Eric Kramer. You know Eric, of course, if you're a Detroit football fan, as the last quarterback to win a playoff game here in Detroit back in the 1991 season when he uh, stepped in midway through the campaign and ended up leading the Lions to that big win over the Cowboys and took them to the NFC Championship game. Played here in Detroit for four seasons, played with several other teams afterwards, including Chicago, where he still holds some records. Uh, But it turns out that there was a lot going on with Eric Kramer that nobody knew about. Uh, Depression had become a regular tenant in his mind and ultimately led him to a suicide attempt that he miraculously survived. And we're happy that he did. He wrote a book about it called The Ultimate Comeback, and has detailed what he went through, what led to that, what he's been doing since. And he joins us to talk about all that here in the Mitch Album program. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. I was, uh, you're right. It was quite a journey to get here. Um, and so grateful to be here. Well, we are grateful you're here, too. And I thought about our discussion, and I don't want to talk about the really serious things and then at some point go, well, anyhow, so what do you think of the Lions this year? <laughs> because I don't want to make – so I'm going to do it in reverse order. Uh, I'm going to talk fo- football first, and then we'll get into some of the other stuff. So first of all, as, as, the, as the last Lion to, uh, to lead a team to, to a, a playoff win, did you have – I mean, could you have imagined that in 1991, I'd be saying that to you 32 years later, that the Lions still haven't won a playoff game since you were last year? <laughs> No, and I doubt many people would think that either because like this year's Lions team that's done so so many good things, we were also a young team. And um, it's uh, I would not have thought that would have been the case either. Um, So for various reasons, everyone's got their own opinions, um, but for whatever reason, that team broke up and – you know, never saw another playoff game, at least never won another playoff game, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I, I'm sure you've seen this uh, Barry Sanders documentary, which I think is just okay. Sure. But uh, yeah. it's, I don't think it's great, but there are some interesting things in it. And Barry said there that he was like, well, I was disappointed. You know, we, we, we got kind of trounced in the NFC championship game, but we were like, all right, you know, we'll come back and we'll be back again and right. do it again. So what fell apart? Why, why didn't it work? Well, like I said, I think if you're asking me, which you are, I've I got am one asking you. <laughs> you're the only one on the line with us, Eric. I got it. I got it. There's obviously everyone's got theirs. But my personal feeling is that there wasn't a a central figure making all these decisions, um, which I think today there is uh, in in the good teams, and Detroit being one of them. So. For whatever reason, like, why would you – like, Detroit never even offered me a contract. And um, and obviously you saw in that uh, documentary that Barry did, you know, other people were sent off in other ways as well. And I think just the, the – what's the word I'm looking for? The um, Dysfunction? Uh, well, no, a, a more positive word, like, pretty of it didn't feel right. Um, and nobody, there was nobody that was communicating clearly 
which I think again is so. Can we can we take that that Wayne Fonts is 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 one of the culprits in that since he was the coach? <laughs> I, I yes, that would be the case because that ninety one season, back to a new offensive coordinator Dan Hing, who I think we as quarterbacks and I think everybody liked, but I show up in the first mini camp on third string. Mm. So there was no phone call from Wayne. There was no phone call from anybody. And um, and I I was told later that was Wayne's choice. So if you're looking for a communicator, by the way, Wayne Fonts would not be him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, he was more more uh, concerned with uh, the way he looked in the media, I think, during that time. And he did a good job of being chummy with a lot of media people. I'm still trying to figure out who was driving that car the night that he got pulled over and didn't, communi- <laughs> didn't communicate that well with the police on that Unsolved mysteries. Yeah, yeah. unsolved <laughs> mysteries. But it's a shame that that team uh, fell apart and uh, because it was promising. Uh, and now, you know, and now you followed the Lions ever since? I mean, because you have plenty of reason yeah, to be bit, bit bitter at them. I mean, you know, as you say, they kind of let well, you go. No, I- I don't have any bitterness because um, that was also the team that gave me my start in a way. Yeah. And um, so, uh, no, I don't hold any bitterness. I follow the Lions, um, you know, the Lions and the Bears equally. And, are you um, are you in the, like, uh, circle with the ex-Lions? You know, I see a lot of them around now. Barry's around a lot. Herman Moore, uh, uh uh, Calvin right. Johnson, even some guys you wouldn't have thought would have might have been around the way that they parted, end up now being around. Are, are you are you welcomed? Are you part of that group? Yeah, yeah. When you say welcomed, I mean I go back to whenever they have a um, like I was at this year's and last year's, I think the year before the alumni weekends, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I met Calvin Johnson for the first time. Great guy. And uh, this time met Johnny Morton, another great guy. And so, and I, you know, you're always going to see Lomas there and Kevin Glover. Right. And, then, um, and so I, I enjoy staying in touch with those guys. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I, I think that was a, you know, a very talented group. And I think who often doesn't get mentioned like they should is Kevin Colbert and Ron Hughes. And uh, because personnel-wise, I mean, they did a great job, in my opinion, yeah, of putting put a, a great together. group of, well, group of players so together. Well, you, so you, you mentioned, like, they gave you your start. A lot of people don't remember that Eric Kramer was not drafted out of college. You played for NC State. Um, you had to kind of walk on to a professional team. Uh, you got cut yeah. from that one. You went to another one. Uh, and you, you left that one, then you played in the uh, Canadian League, if I remember correctly, yep. for three years. That's correct. And then you came. I was there for all of that when you came here, obviously. We have many discussions during your time here. I always found you yeah. to be – you were one of those guys that I thought, he's too smart to be playing football. He should be doing something <laughs> else. I, I frequently had that feeling after we would have conversations. But, you know, but good for you for, for being great at it, and, and you were a great quarterback. So many people would think with that kind of rise, because you certainly probably didn't expect when you were playing at NC State, like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play in an NFC championship game in a couple of years. No. So most mm-hmm. people would probably look at that and say, he should be really happy. Yet you detailed in your, in your book, uh, The Ultimate Comeback, 
that the depression started to enter your mind probably right after you left Detroit. Talk about how you began to see the dark shadow that would ultimately haunt you and lead you to a suicide attempt. Well, I, I think let me first start, and I won't go on just like a long time, but I'll just think I think that everybody comes from somewhere. And so the way you're raised, I think in my case, parents and sort of, a, you know, I, I like everybody was raised by two imperfect uh, parents. And so you see the you see the world through a lens you grew up through. Uh, and so when I came to uh, the Bears, that was the first time that. Um, other than youth football, when uh, in maybe 10th grade in high school, where I started on JV, but then I separated my shoulder, was done for the year, uh, and I think game three or something. And so I was a backup as a junior, um, switched schools as a senior, lost a, to- a quarterback duel there, um, had to go to junior college and basically go part time my first year because they already had a quarterback. So it was a you know, it was a long road and then finally had to call my way onto the Lions. And thankfully, June Jones had done a little research. And then uh, I go to, to um, Chicago. And like I said, the Bears, I'm sorry, the Lions didn't even offer me a contract, but the Bears did. And so I go in there like, okay, Eric, I mean, Dave Wanstead and Ron Turner had picked uh, my wife and I up at the airport. And uh, it was just, I couldn't believe it. I was jumping up and down the bed after the first night. And to go from there to during the season, three or four games in, where I was playing okay. And uh, then I get, uh, I think I hurt my shoulder. I think I came back a few weeks later, but then lost the job to Steve Walsh. And Steve played pretty well. And so now I'm thinking, now now I feel like a failure. Like a, uh-huh. a, a huge Whereas before ball. you were a surprise success, now you're like yeah. expected success and you're a failure. Yeah. Like I, I didn't. It didn't make the papers when I got cut in New Orleans <laughs> as an undrafted free agent. So right, but it was big news when you kind of fell off uh, yeah. the expectations. Yeah. And so, so so that start that started. That's when you first recall kind of feeling down, very down in a way that I'd never felt down before, and uh, so I didn't want to get out of bed. And uh, yet, you know, it was Tuesday or whatever it was, and you, you got to go. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a feeling that I had where, okay, not only don't I want to go, but when uh, I don't want to make eye contact with anybody because that might invite a conversation. And nothing tastes good, nothing smells good, like it's all bad. And I remember my mom coming out. I can't really remember. Um, you know, anything that was said or specifically done, but, but she and I had a relationship where, um, I think we're raised by probably not the best set of circumstances. There was never a time where, when I, where she would have dropped her life and come out flown halfway across the country. And like I said, Griffin at that age, you know, he was born in 93, my last year with the Lions. And uh, so he was maybe a year and a half old at that time. So I think just her being there and, you know, kind of seeing where there were maybe gaps she could step into, to me, was just like really profound. And uh, but again, that's. 
All right, but like, this was now to to kind of keep this in a in a chronological perspective. These years with Chicago were 1996, 97, 98. Um, mm-hmm. You attempted the suicide attempt was in 2015, correct? Correct. Yep. All right. So you're talking about 15 plus years, 17 years of battling with depression. What what brought you to that point? You, it's very poignant. If people read the book, and I recommend that you do, I saw an early copy of it that, that Eric was kind enough to share with me. It, it it contains a letter that you were writing your your son. One of your your mm-hmm. sons tragically died from a heroin uh, overdose. Your other right. son, you write the, him this letter trying to explain why you're doing what you're doing. What yeah. in 2015 pushed you over the edge? Well, I think there's a way, and I I did it. There's a way to get so far down a hole you don't feel like you can get out. Meaning you lose the aerial view of your life. You lose all perspective. And all you can see is life through a keyhole. And none, none of it looked good. And I, and I felt like I was just, my mind wasn't working right. And I, even, I think I even said that to Dylan. And uh, that I just felt not myself to the point where I felt like I was doing the world a favor by not being here. And... Mm. In, in actuality, what you come to realize that I do now is that for the person who exits that way, for them it's over, right. but for everyone they leave behind, just the pain started. is just beginning. Yeah. And, uh, and of so, course, people, only people who survive suicide attempts ever, ever get a chance to realize that. And, and, yeah. and that brings me to the question, how did you survive? You described this night in great detail about how you studied it, almost like a quarterback study in a game plan, how you, mm-hmm. you watch tapes about how you commit suicide, how to hold a gun, how to make sure that you, mm-hmm. you, know, you get it right, what fingers to use, whatever. And you literally put a gun to your head and pull the trigger, and you, you were here talking to me right now. How did that right. happen? Well, think about this. Like, I, went, I literally went to an in, indoor gun range. Like, to shoot down a range? I mean, you know, I was going to be point blank. <laughs> yeah. and, and so um, I call that overthinking it. Yeah. But okay. I think miss, right. So I think how I'm here, I don't know. What I do know is thank God there are certain doctors that are specially trained in this sort of thing. And I remember uh, going to visit the actual operating doctor. This is probably, I don't know. I don't know how many months, let's just say six months afterwards. And I remember sitting in his office and I was kind of, he was asking me questions and I was kind of staring off kind of at the wall. And as I look back towards him, it's like, he's got this look on his face, like, uh, like his jaws on the ground. I said, did I say something wrong? And he goes, Oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. He goes, it's just that people like you that did what you did aren't usually here six months later talking about it. Yeah. And because I guess that night my brain swelled up and they had to stop what they were doing and uh, close it all back up for a couple more days. And they had the, the doctors had told like my aunt and the people around me, like they did not expect me to make it through the night. Well, who would? Uh, but, uh, did you I mean, I'm sure our listeners are wondering, did, did the gun slide? Did you did the bullet graze you instead of uh, instead of entering no, your brain? No. I did it underneath my chin. So, 
uh, it went straight up and out. Up and, and out. Um, yeah. Eric, yep. you are, there is a reason you are here, my friend. I, I, <laughs> there I is a reason. Radio, I think your radio show is part of that reason. Yeah, <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. when, when God made that decision, the Mitch Album show wasn't in his mind. But, but uh, you are here for some reason because people don't survive that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm curious, when you realized that you had survived, the very first recognition of that, that you had the cognizant thought that I survived a gun under my chin that I fired, mm-hmm. was the yeah. feeling happiness or sadness? So here's, here's how I'm told it happened. So I don't remember waking up, and there's probably two or three years that went by that I don't really remember much. Um, and so eventually I ended up at this, uh, brain rehab, which I didn't even know there was such a thing called center for neuroskills. And if you know where, if you know the Southern California, Santa Fe Valley, it's right in Encino. So I've probably passed that place 10,000 times in my lifetime. Never knew that's where it was. Never knew that's what that was. And so, um, uh, I so I've had people, friends of mine tell me when they would come visit, uh, I would say things like, hey, this is a great place. Why am I here? Huh. So I didn't know. I honestly yeah. didn't know that I had shot myself. So do you remember uh, becoming cognizant at some point in your rehab about, wait a minute, I tried to kill myself, I failed, and I'm here. Do you remember when that, that hit you? And, and, and was it a moment of, at that point, gratitude or, or anger that you hadn't succeeded? Here's what happened. It wasn't anger. I hadn't succeeded. Um, a good friend of mine, Anna, who I went to high school with, um, she was she was there throughout my entire process. She's one of the people that I would say, why am I here? And I remember for a long time, <clears throat> she would always refer to what I did as, as an accident. I said, Anna, this is not a, this was not an accident. I. I like detailed out what this was, what was going to happen, when it was going to happen. But then a couple of years later, I it finally struck me. Nobody in their right mind would do this and plan it out. So I wasn't. I look at it now as I that was time when I was not in my right mind because it's not something I would do today. Right. And and I've got so much to live for, especially the people who I all almost left. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of purposes that I have, you know, gravitated to and and, and, am advancing um, all in the name of I'm still here. And so I think though I can't really point to a specific day or place. It's more of as my faculties came back, I, I don't have any association anymore with even the thought of being depressed. Like when I talk about it, I talk about it as though I know it happened. I just don't feel depressed anymore. Yeah. And I know what I felt like when I was depressed, but I don't have the visceral feeling, you know what I mean, of being depressed. Yeah. Well, so, that transition mm-hmm. from that dark period to this certainly light-filled period is remarkable. 
and you must be here to share that story, uh, Eric, and I'm glad that you shared some of mm-hmm. it with us here. You can only do so much even in 15, 20 minutes of radio, but I really recommend people pick up Eric's book because he does a beautiful job mm-hmm. of being very open uh, about his feelings, his love for his children, uh, the tragic, um, and, 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 and lest anybody think here that it was just, oh, boy, so he was a quarterback and he got benched. You're talking about you lost your son to a heroin addiction. You lost your mother to cancer. Your father was diagnosed right. with cancer. You had been divorced, and right. you weren't being allowed to see your other son. So there were there were uh, many other factors here besides football. But I encourage Correct. people to uh, to pick up the book and read it, The Ultimate Comeback. Eric, I, I hope I get a chance to see you perhaps at the at the Lions' next NFC Championship game. That would come full circle. <laughs> yep. And we could say you and me were you and me are going to be a couple of, only the few people who were there for both of them. So well, exactly. And here's my prediction: this year, now that the Bears are, I mean the Bears, now that the Lions are back winning again, like they are going to be hosting a playoff game this year. I'll be there. You'll be there. And so we won't even have to wait for the uh, NFC Perfect. Championship game. I look forward to seeing you and, 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 and shaking your hand and giving you a hug. And I uh, appreciate, Very good. appreciate I, your coming on with us, Eric. It's always good to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Eric Kramer, the book, The Ultimate Comeback. And, boy, that's not mm. a cliche. That's, that's, wow. that's just remarkable. Perfect title. Just remarkable. Back with more right after this.